0: From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 89. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, all. Good morning. And hello, Perry.
1: Hello, I'm back. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, it's uh, good Good to have you back. So you've, you've served your penance uh, for being nasty to Graham of the Sunday 16 podcast now, yeah?
1: Yes, yes, I had a hard time in uh, prison, <laughs> that is, Okinawa's wonderful beaches. Okay, Somebody well,
0: had uh, to do it. It's, it's, it's good to have you back. Um, and I know, for one, uh, looking at the um, summary that, that Ricardo Bayon does um, in Best Vintage Lenses, that he missed you last week, um, especially your encyclopedic knowledge of all lenses. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. Oh, and I'm surprised that Johnny didn't call me out on that happy Thanksgiving thing, too, by the way.
2: I figured you meant it was like Canadian Thanksgiving or something.
1: It is Canadian Thanksgiving today. Yeah. And uh, condolences to Simon for uh, the UK losing its Dorset knob throwing contest this year.
0: That was. I, th- I think we need to explain a little bit to our listeners what, uh, what, what knob throwing uh, is is all about, and it's a traditional event um, that happens somewhere in Dorset. And I've lost the link now because uh, this is this is something that I knew absolutely nothing about until um, Perry uh, shared uh, a link um, about this uh, knob throwing, or as uh, Perry perf- prefers to call it, knob wanging. Um, <laughs> And uh, and it's something where they they bake some what look like buns, uh, but they're actually biscuits, and they get thrown. And for some reason, um, they've got to find a new home this year. So it's it's very very sad news, and everybody in the UK is very upset about it. They 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 have to find a new home. Like, uh, well, I th- I think they need to. They've got to find somewhere else to to throw their knobs. Well, did somebody object to the knob throwing, or what? I'm going to have to dig the story out now, aren't I?
2: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: right, okay, so it's on BBC News. and uh, It's international news. It is. Well, obviously, it's made it to Hong Kong anyway. So uh, uh, here he goes, Dorset's knob-throwing festival will not take place. <laughs> uh, next year, well, organizers uh, search for a new venue. Um and it's all about throwing the, the county's traditional biscuits as far as possible. And it's been running all the way back since two thousand and eight. Um so uh, so there you go. This is a long standing uh thing. And eight thousand people arrived last year. Um and they also have a they have knob and spoon racing. <laughs> Spl- <laughs> splat the knob. Uh Oh. They have knob dots. Uh pin, <laughs> pin pin the oh no pin the knob pin on the pin the knob on the knob. Yeah, no, pin the knob on the on the Kern Abbas giant. <laughs> um, so I but why do they have to move? Did somebody object or something? And they they, they, they don't that explain far. that, huh? No. I'm sure okay. uh it's got something to do with the uh the committee members and uh, and concerns by Moore's biscuits. Uh, that the event has actually run its course all right, all huh. right. Mm. yeah obviously nobody gives a damn about knob
2: throwing because we're only talking about it you know around the world right now worldwide conversation
0: on knob throwing so exactly i i get the feeling this this event might be coming back sooner so um, let's 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 all hope so so uh, the dorset knob throwing festival um, hopefully it will actually get going again uh, this year oh. with a bit of luck
1: we can sponsor it with the Jepson's money.
2: <laughs> ah, there we go.
0: There we go. Yeah, dip, dip the biscuit in lot and see how far you can throw it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's probably a weapon of mass destruction, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, most things are, you know, if you if you throw them in anger over here.
0: Okay. Well, um, moving on. Moving on from knob throwing. Um, there was something i f- I kept on saying when I was signing out last week that there's something I'd forgotten and there was something I'd forgotten. Well, I've probably forgotten loads of things, but one thing in particular was, uh, the emulsive secret Santa event, secret Santa event, uh, is back on. Um, so that's the one for 2019. And last year there was a quite a big run into this, uh, where, um, there was plenty of time to get ready for it this time there isn't and we're already already halfway through uh, the month because it ends uh, at the end of October when I say it ends as in entries need to be in uh, by the end of October so if you're interested in joining that um, you need to go to Emulsives website and if you look on there if you look hard enough you'll find the Secret Santa event for 2019 now just in case anybody doesn't know uh, what that is um, it's a gift exchange um for analog photography in in particular and the idea is that you get paired up with a another person actually no you don't get paired up somebody is um allocated to you and you are allocated to another person so you're not sending um things in in the in opposite directions if you like so uh um so you never you you It's a, it's a, it's a, I always, I always struggle to get my head around this one anyway, but it's a case of uh, somebody will send something to you and you send something to somebody else and they send it to somebody else. And eventually it all goes around in a circle. Um, And you can do this uh, by sending things uh, in your own, in your own country, or you can do things internationally. And it was, it was pretty good for me last year. Um, I've got to say, because I, I decided to do something internationally and I was, um paired up with somebody in the uh, it's called czechia now isn't it it used to be the czech republic um and it's somebody in prague and they sent me some lots of Fomapan, pan. but more interestingly in particular to me was they they sent me some uh low iso um sheet film a uh, bit that had been hand cut to four by five and uh, and it's also also chromatic, so he doesn't see red. And you and it's I've, I've got plenty of the stuff left because I think he said about seventy sheets of it. So I mean, I, I did I did really really well. Um, so um, that's that's something I am going to be doing again. And uh, so for details on that, do go to the emulsive site, and uh, you'll find out a bit more there. All right. Okay, so we're moving on. Um, let's find out what johnny's been up to this week um relatively little
2: (laughs) it it just 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 working it's been it's been very busy we're a bit we're a bit shorthanded so um it's been very hectic days lately which has not left me excuse me much time or uh energy to do much else um other than to uh mourn the loss of spectra film this week. Uh, um, I guess if, I'm not sure if if everyone has heard that news or you know even shoots uh, old Polaroid cameras, but um, Impossible Polar Originals, whatever you want to call them, they they have uh, announced the um, the death of spectra film film for spectra cameras. They're no longer going to make it. Um, and they, they were, of course, the last source of film for those cameras. So a lot of us that have them and, and use them quite a bit are uh, a little bit heartbroken.
0: So, so I'm, I'm just can we just elaborate on that? So Spectra yeah. cameras.
2: Yeah. So they're, they're old Polaroid instant cameras that are a little bit more rectangular in size. So it's a, 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 a larger image that's more rectangular. Um, and they were some of the later... Uh, Polaroid cameras that were made um, that had a lot of actually had quite a bit of control over them Um, a little bit more so than on most of the, you know, SX 70 and 600 series cameras. So they are very um, kind of feature rich cameras with good lenses and make really good images. And, and they uh, Polaroid originals pulled some story out of their butts about how the, you know, the cameras were, no longer reliable and jamming too much so they're not making the film anymore which you know long and long and short means they just want to focus on making eye type film i think but they didn't say that so screw you guys
0: <laughs> but on the on the positive side you can still buy some spectra cameras oh no no this sold out they sold out there you go so uh there you go <laughs> Um, I've just been on the site. You can see them for sale, or apparently for sale for $129.99, but uh, so as you hang
2: over them, then uh, they
0: say that they're sold out. So uh,
2: Yeah, and there's going to be no film to use in them. So, you know, yeah. there you go. <clears throat> so I, I grabbed the last pack of color <laughs> Spectra film off the shelf at Central and put it in my, in my film stash box with a couple of black and whites. Um, <clears throat> so I have, a, I have a little bit of film. Uh, but there will be a sad day when that's gone.
0: So, yeah, I I, I don't don't see many of those cameras. Just uh, looked it up, so I wasn't sure which one it was. Actually, I, I I'm vaguely familiar with these cameras, and as you say, they they're not taking a square image; they take a rectangular image. Yeah, and um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't don't really see many of these special cameras over in the UK at all. In fact, I don't think I've ever really come across one.
2: Yeah, they they well they were they're a bit later in the um the life cycle of the Polaroids uh, product line. Um, uh, So they were, you know, I, they, they never, I think sold quite as many of those as they did other products, but they, they sold a lot of them uh, for kind of professional level use, um, forensics and et cetera, et cetera. So they're, they're very good cameras, um, which is the part that is kind of painful
0: about the whole thing. So are these, the actual uh, photos you get from them, are they, are they larger than, say, in stacks wide? No.
2: Uh, no, it's just similar, yeah. Yeah, it's a sim- similar similar size and format, actually.
1: I think they're, like, a little shorter on one dimension and a little yeah. longer on another dimension. Right. I can't right. remember which is which. Yeah, these right. were these were really popular when I was a kid growing up, but I haven't seen one for ages yeah. in use, I mean. yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I have about four of them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's—I mean, it's all—it it doesn't really matter what the film is. It's—it's it's always sad to see uh, to see a film go. Um, in fact, actually, that reminds me. I, I was listening to um, Bill Manning on the C Forty One podcast where he had uh, Kelly Shane Lynch on, and uh, I don't know if you guys know about this, but uh, I imagine some of our listeners will will know that he's. Kelly's got very, very close to um, processing Kodachrome. Um, so oh, I heard the, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as close as anybody's anybody's got. I mean, it's it's still not 100 percent there, but it's you know, it's pretty damn good. Um, but I was just I was listening to that, and I was thinking, oh, this this sounds like I, I'd be looking forward to, to to hearing this. Yeah, because he's been through quite a journey to get to the point where he's at. I mean, he's he was given 500 rolls of freezer stored Kodachrome that he he worked upon and I think he's pretty much gone through all of those roles trying to find a way of actually processing this and I say he's, he's got most of the way there but I having, having heard the story about you know how well he's actually done ultimately I came away from the from the listening to it as I was a little bit depressed really because it's a case of you know the likelihood of Kodachrome coming back Certainly, after what the the, you know, the 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 things that were uh, discussed in the show, um, is it's I don't know if it's if it's zero, but it, it's certainly the the percentage of it coming back is is very very small, and it's you know, just such a shame about Kodachrome in itself that uh, it ever went away in the first place, um, but it's even more of a shame to know that or to have a pretty strong feeling that it won't come back in the same way as some things have come back, you know, like, like Ektachrome because, you know, Kodachrome was done in such a completely different way to other, other films. Mm-hmm. You know, the infrastructure that's required to not only to produce it, but also then to process it is, is just yeah. enormous. <clears throat> right. So, uh, so yeah, so um, yeah, it's, it doesn't really matter what the film is, how many, you know, even if it's, you know, a relatively niche, and in the case of special film—that was definitely a niche film. Um, but it's, yeah, you know, it's always sad to see the end of film. Yeah, oh, no, it is.
2: Yeah. So I, you know,
0: I, I was, I was just—I well, I, I won't complain about it though. <laughs> no, no, but the, the, that isn't the only thing that's gone away, has it, Johnny? What? What did I do? <laughs> didn't you? I, I, I think we were chatting earlier, and uh, wasn't? Didn't? Isn't? Isn't a shop a shop? Closing down. Oh, yo, right. My big news. Yes. Yeah. The,
2: the biggest news that I will have to share today with, with everyone on the podcast uh, is that the for those of you <clears throat> who make uh, include as part of your visit to Central Cameron, Chicago, a visit to Al's Beef. Al's beef, which is right next door to central camera company where you can go and get a, uh, Italian beef sandwich or a hot dog with no ketchup or et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, they have closed that location. Uh, although it says in the window and I mean, this is like one of the things I'm walking by going into work and there's the, you know, it's all Brown papered over the window. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Um, Uh, but there's a note on the, on the window that says, you know, remodeling reopening soon as Chicago's finest beef and dogs or something like that. Um, so I mean, basically it was a, it was one of the franchise locations, uh, that, you know, is just going to be reopened as some other, you know, generic beef sandwich place or whatever. Um. And the original Al's Beef is still open, and I think one one or two others are still open. But the Loop location is not open anymore. So, you know, big news um, for those of you, like I said, who, who make a stop in there when you go to Central Camera, you will not be able to get your beef at Al's Beef. You'll have to go, I don't know, you go over to Luke's or Max's or something.
1: So that's the place that when Mike Novak was on you guys were discussing the place that dips your sandwiches and people go to get ketchup
2: for uh two different places actually Perry they dip yeah well any any place will dip your sandwich but yes that is the place you would go to get the, the dip sandwich um the place with the ketchup is actually Gene and Jude's which is actually out just outside the city um so two two different establishments
0: actually Mm. when you you Uh, say yeah he when you say with the ketchup don't you mean with the ketchup next door at mcdonald's is that is that the one
2: uh, yeah well yes
0: yeah yeah correct yeah um yeah
2: but i know that that i know that that mike uh definitely liked making a stop in at at al's beef uh but yeah not to worry mike we've confirmed that the other locations are still open so um all is not lost there are still plenty of
0: places to get a beef sandwich in Chicago. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, obviously this is a place I'm never going to go to, but I'm quite sad about this because it just, it just sounds just, <laughs> I love the sound of the, 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 of the place, you know, it just sounds like a, you know, a historic place, just like an old camera store or something like that. And it's, yeah. Kind of. And it's gone. Yeah. I mean, it,
2: you know, it hasn't, hasn't been there in that location forever. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it it's not, it's not like it's been there like, central camera in that location for decades. Um, but no, it's nice to have there. And, um, you know, it, it adds, it adds something to the whole experience that there's a Chicago, uh, style, you know, a, a famous Chicago eating establishment right next door to central. Actually there's really one on either side, uh, two doors down the other direction is the exchequer, uh, Uh, restaurant which is famously one of Al Capone's hangouts Um, and that's been there for a very long time as well Um, uh, I don't know what was in the location I think on the other side there was a clothing store there for a lot of years I I don't know I mean there have been a lot of things in that location so it's you know you can't really mourn it as if it's the loss of an anchor kind of old school business on that street but you know it things come and go i guess
0: mm. all right well, yeah. have you got any good news this week
2: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i didn't buy anything no that's not true at all <laughs> um so you know mike Ekman. mike mike eckman can be very convincing um About things such as, you know, borrowing cameras, and it's very hard to say no to Mike Ackman. So Mike Ackman hits me up. I'm 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 taking a lunch break, my lunch break at about four p.m. at Central (laughs) Camera in the afternoon, and Mike hits me up with a a message, and he says, "Hey, look at this," and it's a, of course, it is a uh, a petri uh, petri penta. With the the famous uh, Oricor fifty millimeter f two lens on it, which is now uh, you know skyrocketed in in value. Um, So, and I had been literally looking for this exact combination about an hour earlier at the shop, Um, just kind of looking around because I'm like, you know, if I ever get a chance, I'm gonna have to grab another one of those because I really like mine. So, lo and behold, Mike sends me this link to this auction ending in eight minutes um and i'm like you know scrambling <laughs> to figure out if i can pay for it and it, it really it wasn't very expensive so i did get one of those um actually with the thought in mind that i would i would keep the camera uh because it's really a pretty unusual camera and i, I I'm, I'm worried about how long mine is going to hold out so i figure if i have two then i always have one for parts um and I can keep one camera working, uh, but then the lens—I mean, I've got one, so I would sell the other one off, and it would pay for itself plus probably a little more. So that's the plan. Um, and it, so I should have it um, probably this week coming up.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's still a lens I've—it's I've, been on my want list for such a long time. What's really irritating me now is you know I've watched the price of these go up. Uh, to the point where, uh, certainly what I'll be prepared to pay for one now was, was certainly too much to pay for it two years ago. And now is a bargain. Right. Um, that, that, that really irritates me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, a, that, that is definitely understandable. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, it is a nice lens. I mean, it's, you know, I think that Petri was doing some really nice stuff back in that era, um, and funny, um, Mike. So, Mike picked up, um, Mike Ekman picked up, uh, two or three of the Petri rangefinders, the green that I'm very fond of. One of which he overhauled. Well, I think he's overhauled all of them at this point. Um, but one of which I, I bought from Mike for a, you know, middling sum, which was considering the work he went to overhaul it. Um, he he probably should have sold it to me at a you know higher price just to cover the time of his work but it was like 50 bucks so i'm like all right yeah i'll take it um but he's i know he's now shot that camera and he really likes it and it, it's the the lens on it is great um so he's he's he really likes the the rangefinder and he really wants to borrow <laughs> This uh, the Petri Penta that's in the mail. So I, I I bought it. I'm pretty sure he told me about it because he knew that I would buy it. And then he would then <laughs> get to ask me to borrow it, which, of course, I would say yes to. So <laughs> so well done, Mike. Your your Petri Penta <laughs> is on the way. <laughs> um, and and I'll let you know when it's here and if it's working uh, and then it will be on its way to you. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh but i mean it, it it's uh, uh cheyenne morrison sent me a um i'm trying to see if i can find it here real quick but you know he sent me one of the old uh advertising uh pages for that lens and it is it, it's i think it's a seven element lens and and petri they usually with their lenses they they usually do have like in the instruction book they have um they usually have a diagram floating around with the lens. So I, there's, I, I've seen the diagram for it. And, you know, it is, it is definitely an interesting looking lens. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember what uh, specifically we would, we would call it design-wise. Uh, but it's, it is definitely an interesting lens. Um, but I think mainly it's, you know, it's going through that cycle where people realize that it does something special, Wide open on digital, and that's really what what's, of course, driving the the interest in it, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, it. I think stop down at all, it's going to behave like any other fifty f two, um, which is to say, it's going to perform well. But yeah, it definitely has an unusual sort of um, look to it when it's when it's shot wide open. Hmm.
0: So. Okay. Any 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 more events? Or should we move on? Um
2: I'm trying to remember if anything else has come my direction. No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's 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 the extent
0: of my excitement this week. Okay. Well, um we were gonna go in our pre planning, we were gonna go over to Perry next, month. I'm just thinking I'll I'll do my little bit because I, we're expecting lots of uh, things on our scene uh, uh, that we sent uh, Perry to a tropical uh, paradise. Um, so he really should come back and tell us lots about it. So Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, I just uh, <clears throat> beforehand, I was saying I, I didn't think I'd actually done anything this week. And then you guys reminded me that I had actually done something. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, and just just two things just come to note. I mean, one I've uh, popped up some more pictures that I'd taken with my Horizon two hundred two um, of our, of our, some shots in uh, North Wales and some shots in in Liverpool. And uh, I just remember there was there was something reasonably interesting about this, and that's that I'd used a a film called um, Astrum Photo one hundred. Um, which is i 've mentioned it b- beforehand, and uh, the this stuff 's evil as far as i 'm concerned um not just because it 's green um when it goes in but it's it 's really thin um although i 've now been told that there is actually thinner films on the market out there um one of the Silbera films is is, is apparently even thinner, so this this stuff is really difficult to load. I didn't even bother to try and put it onto a Patterson tank. I got it into a, uh, a stainless steel reel instead, which I'm, I'm starting to actually get to like stainless steel, uh, reels. Um, but one thing when I actually loaded this film on, it was wet in the middle of it. Oh, which <laughs> you're thinking this can't go well, can it? Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm loading the stuff. I mean, it's in my bag and, I've, I've I've about halfway in and I'm thinking this is sticky, you know? So yeah, that's, that's never a good thing. Is it? So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, and, and as you might imagine the, uh, the, the middle section, my film was, was, was completely unusable, unrecognizable as anything. um, and then, so it was just whatever I'd done at the front and whatever I'd done at the, the end of the film were actually the ones that actually had anything on them. And the most of the shots that actually worked, um, they were really blotchy, which uh, Mike Novak has since told me I needed to have um, re- pre, pre-washed it several times until it ran clear. Um, and with that, the fact that the emulsion had actually... Um, I g I don't know if it cured, and then it's um started to uh behave much like the coatings on a an LTM fifty one point two canon lens, um and started to bead um back on the uh back on the uh whatever the substrate that the emulsion goes on to. Um yeah, so uh, I've, I've, I've I've taken myself down a bit of a tangent there. Haven't i not. I'm just thinking about Canon one point two lenses, but uh,
1: that, that's all the weird stuff on the pictures you you shared. Yeah, that's that literally liquid on the film.
0: Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, so it, oh. it was just really really blotchy. So and I I either didn't wash it enough or it was a case of it was no no matter how much washing i was going to get done i was just going to get some kind of residue of the emulsion over most of the shots so and you wouldn't have known that until too late so uh but you know a fair a fair amount of the shots came out okay um i used uh ilford microfen to to process them which has fast become my my favorite developer i love this stuff at the moment um and uh but in particular though there was a a, a shot that i'm i talked about uh, and I'm glad it, this is one of the shots actually came out um, okay. And that was a, a scene uh, by the seaside and there was a jetty going out into it. And, it's, and this is your your classic long, super long exposure shot uh, that you might get uh, with crashing waves and something solid in the in the middle of it. And uh, so I thought, well, I couldn't actually take that shot because um, I, I did actually have a, a two-stop ND filter with that, but that still wasn't going to stop it down to anything where I needed to, to to get that kind of effect. But what I did do is uh, I took uh, a couple of shots at an eighth of a second. And so I knew that I was going to get some kind of movement in the waves. But the other part of it is the swing of that lens when, you, when you're when shooting at an eighth of a second is quite slow and it takes maybe anything up to, say, close to three seconds to go from one side of the exposure to the other. So I mm. was expecting something really weird in, in there. I was quite excited about seeing one of these. I mean, I was I was so happy that w- at least one of these shots actually came out uh, because most of these shots were the ones that were lost. Um, and truth form, I did get movement in the waves um, pretty much the amount that I was expecting to get. Um, I couldn't actually take the shot any slower because I was already overexposed at F it's um, eighth of a second anyway so I didn't dare go any any uh, any longer than that um, but I was just expecting some true weirdness uh, with the rest of the shot you know, because you've got a constantly moving uh, sea with waves and things like that but the actual shot as it came out was actually quite normal um, and that sort of mm. disappointed me a little bit really but, uh, <laughs> yeah. well
2: an eighth of a second isn't really that it's only one bit at a time at an eighth of a second
0: right yeah Yeah. So, yeah. I guess it's that thing where you you need something to be moving throughout the pan. Yeah. 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 Something really odd, and And obviously that wasn't happening. Probably the closer to the camera, the better. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because with this kind of shot, I can't imagine what would go strange about it, given that other than the water, nothing's moving.
0: Yeah. Well, I say. Well, I just thought the water might just look a bit odd. Um, but it just looked like water, which is what it was. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so, <laughs> yeah. It's water. Yeah. Actually, on 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 that front, uh, Perry, um how you doing with that roll of film in your Horizon Two Hundred and Two?
1: I can't remember where I put the Horizon. <laughs>
0: oh.
1: oh man, it's, it's here somewhere. It's it, it might be right next to me. No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't shot it yet.
0: Uh, Need to, need to. I mean, just as a, just as a, a there's, there's something I've noticed on, um, in the, uh, negative positives podcast, Facebook group, um, there seems to be a bit of a, uh, a commotion for getting these cameras at the moment. So, um, oh, yeah. it'd be good if you can, you know, take some pictures and share them, you know, and put them into into there as well. <laughs>
1: so. Okay. I found it.
0: <laughs> right. That's a start, right? Yeah. <laughs> Have you got any film in it yet? Yes.
1: Uh, I, I put a roll of Ultramax in it, uh-huh. uh, and then I removed that roll and put it in my M4. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I finished. I finished that roll, but not through the horizon. Yeah. I, I, yeah. At some, po- I got too many cameras, man. It, at some point, I will definitely shoot this because I don't think there are any cameras in my collection that I haven't actually shot. Um, so, so this will get used at some point. I just can't quite. I haven't I haven't had the occasion to, you know, sometimes you're going out and you're thinking, hmm, what camera should I bring today? What do I want to shoot? Uh, and and a certain set of circumstances needs to happen before uh, this is the correct answer.
0: Yeah, just just go out and shoot it. The, the on, you're, where, where you're at is just like the perfect environment for it as well. It yeah, is. It is. Oh, yeah. it just and and that's the thing about it. You can just go into a, a a place that's quite normal to you. That's not necessarily particularly inspiring to you. And you just just compose a shot that just you know in the way that you might normally do it, but you might not bother to take it normally. And just do it. And you'll just find it. You know, it will produce something that will put a smile on your face.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I will find some time to actually use this thing. Yeah.
0: Good. Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, next time you think about using the X pan take take the horizon that's that's the <laughs> way forward oh, i don't know about that <laughs> yeah yes yeah. um, but see, so don't, don't forget i mean the x-pan is not a panoramic camera as far as i'm concerned anyway it's uh? it's, more, it's more of a cinematic kind of thing it's not panoramic i don't if i'm being controversial there i don't know but i i don't i don't class that as a panoramic camera why it shoots panoramas how is it cinematic <laughs> No, it's not. It's just it's just a wide view. It doesn't actually go around corners oh in the boy. way that an that, that horizon does, or a banquet camera, or something like that. Mo- movies aren't shot with this kind of weird fisheye distortion. Anyway, I'm I've made I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm sticking with that now. Um, so uh, <laughs> okay. So in the, in the, in, o- in other news, because well, so I haven't got too much news. Uh, the other thing is um, I've I've finally got round to re spooling. Uh, a roll of film to put into my Kodak medalist uh, which is a 620 film and 620 uh, cameras use exactly the same film as 120 except the spools are, are a different size and and some 620 cameras, you can just about get away with putting a roll of 120 into it. Um, you certainly cannot do that uh, with a medalist. In fact, there's so many things you can't do with a medalist. It's untrue. So uh, even to the point where, you know, if you're going to use your medalist, uh, the, the, the usual advice is read the manual first, no mm-hmm. matter what you're going to do. Because there's so many, so many things you can do wrong, especially the model I've got, which is the, uh, the original Mark one, uh, which has has got more ways you can break it than the Mark um, <clears> two. <throat> You have to, you have to uh, uh, circumcise the film, right? <laughs> no, they don't do that in the UK. No, no, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. No, no that's been outlawed. Um, so uh, the the idea is that you you get two <clears throat> two spools, two two six twenty spools, and you need a dark bag or a dark room or a dark space somewhere, and you'll you roll uh, a roll of one twenty film onto. Uh, a 620 spool and then you roll it back onto another 620 spool and you think well why are you doing that twice and there's a there's a good reason I mean technically I believe you don't have to do it uh, but it's a good idea to do it because um, uh, when you're actually rolling the when you when you're doing the film from one to the other there's a piece of tape Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of the roll of, uh, of film, and when you get to that tape, uh, when you when you you roll it on, it causes a bulge in the film. And then, if you if that in itself, I don't know if that's really that much of a problem, but it, it doesn't seem like a good idea to me. So if you roll it back again, um, so you're actually taking the film back to the to the orientation that it originally was, then you your your numbers are, are going to line up. I assume they won't line up the other way around uh, because. The, the way you actually tell what frame you on, you have a little window at the back of the camera uh, with a with a red filter uh, where you can actually see your frame numbers and uh, one twenty film 's got lots of numbers on the back of them, depending on the size of film that you use and handily it, uh, it, it tells you what it is for the, this six by nine film and it 's aligned in the in the same place as it will be if it was six twenty film, which is really good that there is that legacy um treatment there so uh so that is now loaded up and it's loaded up with a special roll of film because it's portrait so i've got to take people with it because that's all you can do with portrait and um <laughs> and that's and that's the that's the role or one of the two roles i should say uh that perry has sent through to me so it's a it's a roll of portrait 60 and uh and i've now fo- i have 14 days to shoot it before it's expired awesome <laughs> um, <laughs> what what lens is on your medalist? it is um it's an Ektar 100mm f3.5 Ooh, and nice. the lens is one of those lenses which fits into the legendary category um i've never i haven't actually seen many pictures that have been produced by this but people actually all say that it's an amazing lens and and i've got to believe it because it's a heliar yep um, yep, it is that's it. So Helior lenses are awesome and they're particularly awesome at taking pictures of people. So I'm, I'm quite excited about, uh, about doing that. The only downside of the, the handicap, you know, 100mm sounds you know, uh, quite good. And in 35mm terms, that'll be a, a, a longish portrait lens. But 6x9, it's a normal, it's effectively, effectively like a 50mm, some, something like that. Yeah, even better. Well, yeah, well, yes. Um, but if you actually want to actually take it, it's a, if you want a head and shoulders, um, a reasonably tight head and shoulders, you can't actually do it without uh, putting on a, uh, a close-up lens. Which, incidentally, they're called portrait uh, lenses. Which is uh, oh, are they? Yeah, it's called a portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, and there 's uh, different numbers like portrait one and two i 'm not too sure what the uh, the numbering system is um, but uh, yeah, you get these close up lenses and uh, and i 'm guessing you 've actually just got to get tape measure out so it 's it looks a little bit like a it 's a cross between a an s l. r and a rangefinder, but it is a true range finder and they say why it 's a cross because you 've got a re- it 's got a really odd Way of actually measuring of measuring the distance because see, you've got two windows and the, and the, there's a smaller window underneath your main frame window. Mm-hmm. And you have a split screen. I mean, it's just a complete split screen, a horizontal split screen, like you would do with an SLR. And uh, it's it's an odd way of doing it, but I quite like it because it sort of feels like an SLR uh, when you're using it, which in my my opinion is a good thing. But I know that you guys prefer it would prefer it to feel more like a rangefinder, I guess.
1: Well, when it's that size, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't think it matters, because you know
0: it's, it's such a brick, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there are some famous. Uh, comic drawings of World War Two films where, the, where I think there's a there's a woman who's got it on the neck strap and she's swinging it round and smacking a Nazi in the head with it. Yeah, <laughs> so um, right. it is it is a pretty lethal weapon if you were to use it that way. There's no no doubt about it. Um, so uh, so yes, yeah, so I will be attempted to take pictures of of people with that. Although I might not be able to get quite. As, I'm just going to have to be further back. And,
1: yeah context
0: yeah and i and i do want to take them as close to wide open as i can as well which uh, i do actually have another role of uh, uh donated uh portrait film um the other role was uh 400 uh, on, on 120 film um, but i chose to go with the 160 larger because i want to shoot well i there's a there's a shutter speed range is relatively limited for one yeah and uh and and secondly yeah, the and light isn't particularly great here at the moment now um so using the, the slower film will should enable me to get close to using it at uh, 3.5 which is what i really really want to do nice yeah
1: yeah that that that's a really nice lens
0: i'm, I'm really looking forward to those results yeah yeah me too i've had the camera for ages but i just haven't the, had the nerve to uh to 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 respool it which um anthony Roo's been Baiting me for quite some time about doing it, just get it done and get it done and so on. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've fi- finally done it, but I've just been like waiting for other things to happen. Uh, I've been putting putting things off, such as uh, oh, I need a need a hood for it and stuff like that. Well, I've I've, I've got the hood now, and uh, but it's not it's I'm not sure if it is actually single coated or not. because most of these um, medalist ones are uncoated lenses, but some of the later ones are. Mine's from 1943, and I'm I'm sure I've seen it in some light. It looks like it might have a coating on it i don't know but either way it, it seems like a good idea to uh to get a hood for it
1: are you going to shoot it handheld because that thing is heavy
0: yeah that's the plan i mean yeah so, uh, so
1: if you are going to shoot it handheld can you do a before and after shot of your biceps as well <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's i, I don't know what it is with these six six by nine cameras they are unless they're like a, a folding camera they, um they're so heavy aren't they um I'm not sure why this camera is as heavy as it is but it's uh, it, it just is. So there you go. Right. Okay so that's that's my week. Um Perry how's how's your trip been?
1: <coughs> Since both of you cleared your throats before speaking. Uh <laughs> Yeah it was uh it was really good. Okinawa, you know, Johnny mentioned wasn't isn't the first place that comes to mind for an American to go on holiday but it's a cool place. <laughs> uh crystal clear water gorgeous beaches it has a it it feels like a japanese hawaii in a lot of ways it's a lot more laid back um (laughs) with a different sort of people than the mainland of japan and in the middle of the island because i rented a car and we kind of drove up and down there's a there's a place called american village uh that we stopped by for, (laughs) for for an evening and you know how in America you have Chinatowns in different cities? Right. Uh, th- this is essentially the Japanese equivalent of an America town. Wow. So it's McDonald's and they let you shoot each other or what? Yeah. Because Amer- <laughs> uh, cause Chinatowns are kind of America's take on, on a, a, a sort of Asian settlement, right? Yeah. So this is sort of, I guess what you, what, what, the Japanese in Okinawa imagine America to be like, <laughs> uh, and it, it's—I mean—it's nothing like the U.S., but everything is just sort of bigger and with more—I don't know—corn syrup in it. <laughs> right. That—that <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of—that was kind of odd. But I mean, it's a gorgeous place. The food is wonderful. Uh, we went up to an awesome aquarium up there. Um, so it, it was kind of a last-minute uh, change in our schedule because. We were originally going to go Sunday to Wednesday, and then on Friday, there were these huge, huge protests in Hong Kong at night after the government introduced this anti-mask law, and basically everything got trashed, Uh, so all of our our pre-scheduled activities and my work stuff for Saturday got cancelled quite late on Friday night. Um, so we changed our flight last minute for Saturday morning and kind of got an extra day in because of that. And so the biggest struggle was deciding what to bring, of course, gear wise. Uh, so I brought I brought my GoPro because we were definitely going to go snorkeling uh, in the coral reefs there. And I brought for film, I brought my contacts T just to keep it light uh, and to fit everything in a backpack and then originally for my digital camera, I was going to bring my Ricoh GR2 and just kind of keep everything very pocketable. But at the very last minute, I swapped it uh, for my Fuji X-T10, and I do not regret that choice at all because I ended up using it quite a bit. So the two lenses that I brought were the Voilander Super Wide Heliar 15mm, um, which, which is always essential and a Lomo color minotaur 35 millimeter f two point eight uh that I actually have on loan from Simon. Lomo? Uh is it not from the is it not from a Lomo LCA? Mm, no. Oh, no uh, sorry, no, no. Minox, 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 my bad. Yeah. Uh yeah. Those little things right? They they'll confuse me. Yeah, it's from a minox and uh it's been converted to like a m mount and it doesn't have rangefinder coupling, but I did try it on my digital Leica. And the, you know, Infinity is bang on. Whoever made these, like, it's really well made and precisely calibrated. And as a compact travel lens, wow, this thing really delivered. I mean, I had it on a, a, a helicoid adapter, so it was, I, I could focus much closer than it normally could as well. And it, oh, it's such cool,
0: it's a cool little lens. I love that lens as well. In in the same way as 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 you there, um, a chap named Harvey makes it, by the way. Um, and uh, then this is my second one actually, uh, but so my first one was LTM. And but I wanted uh, the uh, that particular one to just make it easier to use on. The, um, well, actually, potentially to be used on a Leica M camera, but also um, the helicoids are just Leica M helicoids, so they're just easier to use. But it's just one of those lenses that whenever I put it on my camera it just makes me smile it just makes me Uh, happy
1: yeah I mean it it's super sharp wide open but it's got it it's hard to describe the rendering I mean um I I spent most of the time I shot it in the Okinawa Aquarium which is gorgeous and some of the stuff that it was doing to uh the corals in the background was pretty unique looking and the, the aperture blades in this lens um there's only two blades, right? Yeah. And it's it's sort of teardrop shaped, but like a horizontal teardrop shape. So I didn't do any weird bokeh stuff with it, but I can imagine that you could get some pretty odd effects uh shooting slightly stopped down and then up
0: close. Well, actually this is something to do especially where you, where you are. Uh, try and get some starbursts with uh with street lighting because it Ooh. does really really interesting things with that. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good idea. Yeah.
1: Oh, I might have to chuck this thing on um, on my Sony and go out with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I wish I wish there were more of these. Well, I guess there are. You can get these converted, but these lenses from compact cameras that sit so close to the uh, yeah. film, but then are really high quality, you know, whether they're out of a Contax or a, a Yashica T series or whatever. Um, you know, it, it strikes me as a type of lens that's just ripe for wonderful adaptation. Cause if they're all done as well as this
0: lens, I, I want, I want an entire collection of them. <laughs> yeah. The, the beauty of that uh, Minox lens though, is the fact that it's, it already has its own focusing helicoid on there and you've got the aperture control within the unit. Uh-huh. Um, whereas and it uh, has a focus scale. Uh, yes exactly so it's it's about as easy to adapt that as just about any i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't know where to start doing this one but you've you've got almost everything there well you have got everything there just to 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 make it make it happen whereas you know if you're doing like something out of a uh you see you seek a t3 or something yeah, yeah. like that yeah you know, you've you've got to build a, a focusing mechanism you've got to find some way of controlling aperture and that's just you know multiple times more difficult I think the aperture control is more
1: important because I would really like to see one of these lenses with the aperture control and then modified so that it's rangefinder coupled. That would just be fantastic.
0: Yeah. You're not asking for much there, are you? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. There, there, <laughs> there
2: are
0: there are a couple of guys
1: in Hong Kong who will do that kind of stuff for you. It's not cheap, but they they can work their magic on almost almost any lens you can imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was a. Uh, that was pretty cool. The colors are very nice, too. You know, it's funny. There's, um, I, I've never shot with one of the original Minox cameras, but there's a guy, Victor Chen, here in Hong Kong, who uh, is, is a founding member of this group called the Shutter Alliance. And he's one of these guys who has an obscene collection of cool uh, vintage lenses and cinema lenses and stuff like that. But when I go out shooting with him, uh, I haven't done it much, but his favorite camera to carry around is just the Minox.
0: Yeah, that was always, it was always a camera that, uh, when I was getting into photography back in the day, my, my dad would say, oh, that's a good camera. That one is, and, uh, you yeah, have really good lenses and, and things like that. And then, uh, okay. it, it, it just passed me by. And I remember when I showed, uh, the original one of these I had on LTM um, to uh, to to John, my lens repair man, and I was talking about it, and he goes, "Yeah, the rubbish they are," and uh, as he as he does with things that he doesn't like, um, whether whether they actually are rubbish or not is another matter. But uh, um, and then I showed him some of the pictures I'd taken with it, and he was he was knocked out by it, and you know, completely changed his view because it, it has that everything you just said there, I completely agree with. The, the rendering is is quite unique. Uh, with the lens um, yeah. i don't know and it's probably got something to do with the fact that it does actually sit so close to the center i'm sure that's making a a difference although it, that's usually a problem when you put things onto a sony um, especially heading towards the, the wide angle end but i can't actually remember it being a oh no, it's okay noticeable on the sony at all because it doesn't stick out uh the
1: rear element doesn't jut out so yeah. when you put mm-hmm. it on a leica m adapter onto the sony the rear element of the lens is actually quite a bit in front of uh the part of the adapter where the lens attaches. Yeah. So you don't get a lot of I, I like I tried it on my Sony and you don't get that weirdness that uh Leica or LTM lenses or other rangefinder lenses with a a protruding rear element give you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I posted a bunch of shots from the aquarium uh that are all f- with this lens on my Fuji. Yeah,
2: those I are excellent. Those are almost excellent. all
1: of them are wide open. Uh, a lot of that is down to the aquarium itself though uh because they they let natural light pour in through the top and it just looks fantastic
0: yeah yeah i agree i mean the colors just popped amazingly with those those photos yeah yeah
1: all right so i think that's pretty much it for okinawa i i really didn't shoot much with the uh contacts t had a roll of portrait in there and I wish I had black and white film in it because the city in the south end of Okinawa was actually fantastic for street photography. Mm. Uh, But because I had color film in it, I just wasn't feeling it. Mm. This is one of those things when I, you know, when I first got my X-Pan, I shot, I shot so many rolls with it for the first week. And then I put a roll of color film in it and didn't touch it for a week. (laughs) Yeah. It killed my vibes. And I always make that mistake (laughs) sometimes.
0: So, So are you a purist in such a way that you won't shoot color to convert to black and white?
1: No, no, I've done that before. Uh, But the tonality is not the same. So I I won't do it sort of deliberately. Sometimes if I'm shooting with a cheaper color film and then I get the pictures and I think, oh, this will look better in black and white, I have no problem converting it. But because I have portrait, uh, loaded in my contacts hmm. t it, it wasn't really the kind of thing that crossed my mind that i'm going to shoot portrait and then convert it to black and white yeah. yeah
2: yeah
1: i know there are purists out there that think you know it's it's some form
0: of blasphemy but i mean yeah it's fine no big deal yeah, yeah. i mean i certainly <coughs> when i've when i've done some street shooting on one of these photo walks or something like that invariably i've got color film in there but i i look at everything with a black and white a mono um, palette in my uh, in my mind if, if you like um, and so uh, when when the shots come back i'm, I'm almost like surprised that they're in color um mm-hmm. but i do tend to um so I'm, I'm getting better at seeing in black and white as to you know because some, some things can be quite mushy and non-distinct in black and white where whereas other if you you've, you've got to start looking at textures and contrast um, because you know, a lot of colours that have, are quite bright together just effectively show up almost as identical, don't they? When when they when something's converted to 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 black yeah. and white,
1: yeah. So the advantage of shooting colour and then converting it to black and white is you can adjust individual channels, mm. uh, which you would have to do in advance with uh, colour filters shooting shooting black and white. But at the same time. I wouldn't deliberately go out to do that because I just find the tonal gradations to be a lot less satisfying and smooth when you're converting black and white film to, uh, sorry, when you're converting color film to black and white. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So Okinawa, Uh, the, the other thing I've kind of been up to in Hong Kong is I I've started doing what Johnny does and carrying two cameras around. Uh, Normally I only carry one, but So recently I've been carrying the Contax T around with color film in it all the time and then just sort of swapping the other camera that I have as my day camera. So, I mean, that's a good setup. I don't know why I haven't been doing that all the time. (laughs) Normally what I do is I'll carry one camera with a few lenses and then color film and black and white film. And then if I decide that I want to shoot color, but I have black and white loaded or vice versa. I just finish the role really quickly and then change change the film. But, but so that's how I end up with lots of pictures of um, either my cat or just random stuff at the uh, end of a role. But this is a much better approach. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just more to carry. (laughs) That's I do that. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it is more to carry, but it depends on what the cameras are, right? Because right. this allowed me to carry, you know, like sometimes one medium format camera and then the Contax T. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because it's just the Contax T is so small that it's basically like carrying a few rolls of film. Yeah. And I, I've started using it a lot more just because I trust it a lot more than I trust my Olympus XA. Um, not, not that the XA is a bad camera. I love that camera. Don't get me wrong. But my Olympus XA, well, all of them, because they have the little windy toothed wheel instead of a traditional film winder. uh, I I talked to Rob Jameson about this, and apparently he really cranks his XA all the way. But I'm fairly gentle with mine, so I have missed quite a few shots uh, after advancing the film and pressing the shutter because I haven't wound it all the way. There's like one or two Uh, extra sprockets um, that are left. And and then I missed the shot because I think it's fully wound, but it's not.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I never Um, noticed that. No, me neither.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the way that I shoot street, sometimes when I'm working a scene, I'll try to I'll fire off a couple of shots one after another. Yeah. And so I got a sort of fire wind uh, fire. And so when it's a traditional film advance knob, you have to go all the way before it'll even sort of start moving backwards. And that's what the Contax T has. Whereas the XA, I've missed so many shots with it because of that. And it might just be mine that's not, you know, that the knob might not be as smooth or whatever. But I haven't tried any other ones, and I've missed enough shots with it that I
0: don't fully trust it anymore.
1: Yeah, Well, I don't really trust myself with it,
0: is the better. You're clearly being too gentle with your knob there, and you would need to work <laughs> it harder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got to throw it more, yeah. Yeah. So you guys haven't. I mean, you both have XAs, right? You haven't had that happen to you.
0: Yeah, I've I've got a, a, an XA. did uh, yeah, without without the numbers, and I've only shot one roll of film through it with, and I I've I've, I've uh. can't, I haven't decided whether I actually like the camera or not, but I think I do, because certainly the results were excellent from it. But yeah. no, I I just but I didn't. I certainly didn't have a problem with winding. I, what I did have a problem was was taking shots when I didn't want to, uh, because <laughs> the, shut, the shutter's way too sensitive.
2: Uh yeah yeah it's a hair trigger yeah mine 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 has migrated its way to the to be sold table in my in one of my rooms i'm I'm slowly gathering up all of the camera stuff that I'm gonna sell into one location and the uh
0: x a is on that table, so I think there's a reasonable chance mine might go the same way, but I'm, I'm I'm sometimes thinking yeah, what is the reason why I would pick that camera up at, over and above one of my other, say, point just normal point and shoot cameras, yeah. um, or if I had one, uh, something like a you know a, a, one of those Petri color corrected uh, cameras, which I really fancy using, but the, yeah, they, they, they were larger, uh, chunkier things. So I mean, they're not much difference in terms of size to say a, a, a Leica, um, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, why why would actually. Take that camera over point and shoot. And I, I'm, I'm struggling to answer that
2: question. That's, that's a very that, – Simon, uh, th- you were, like, exactly on the same page. I'm just – I can't think of a situation when I'm going to choose that camera to use, you know. I just – there's always something that I would rather have in my bag than that camera.
1: That totally makes sense. I mean, I, I never carry my XA on its own. I always have it as yeah. a, a second camera. Second, sure. But now – I'm just, I, I don't, I'm, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't have, I don't have any uh, film point and shoots. Um, I only have the XA and this Contax T. So uh, there's just no reason for me to pick up the XA over the Contax T either, because the Contax T just yeah. it, it feels better. You know, it's it's. I used to have a T2, but that thing was a little bit too bulky, um, and Kendall Jenner made the price go up too much, so I, I had to sell it for a profit. <laughs> Uh, but the T hasn't gone crazy yet, and it's just—it's super nice. It's a rangefinder, you know. It feels like it feels like a proper piece of engineering because the XA is all plasticky, whereas like this Contax T, I feel like I could, you know,
0: well, the throw fact it. That, the fact that it's a rangefinder as well, because uh, I was going to ask you if it was rangefinder or whether it was scale focus. And the XA, so, yeah, uh, no, no, the uh, the, the Contax T. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, the, I mean. I'd, I'd ask the same question. Why would you have a, an XA when you've got a contacts?
1: Well, I got the XA a long time ago before I got the contacts. Um, That's yeah. why I have both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got the contacts after I sold my T2. And uh, because I do like the lens on the T2, but it just, the price is absurd. And it's a point and shoot. So, you know, the autofocus is unreliable. It, it's... it's
0: yeah, yeah, this is the
1: same lens. It's just it's a rangefinder. It's way yeah. better.
0: I mean, the, I think the, the I like the look of the contacts T, and I've I've played with one, and not 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 shot one, um, but yeah, I, they they they're just two competing cameras between between them, and uh, and I would yeah. certainly. Uh, give give the the contacts team more time although that's possibly oh, large yeah. because I'm a contacts fanboy uh, oh it's gorgeous it's, yeah. if you get a chance yeah it's i mean the lens is wonderful
1: and it's just a joy to use because you know even though it has that that annoying flap uh yeah. that folds out the i find that it's really easy to to focus the rangefinder with my middle finger and just mm-hmm. shoot the whole thing just shoot the whole thing one handed mm. yeah that makes sense it's great. Whereas the XA, you have that little sort of tiny, tiny focus tab on the bottom that moves like five degrees.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. (laughs) I, that's, I guess the thing that I, I, it's like the camera that tries to do too much for me or, or, or or, yeah. Or I feel like I need to do too much with it when I'm using it, when all I really want to do is have a point and shoot, but Mm -hmm. then I'm screwing around with the range finder. And which is silly. Cause it's like, what's the base length on that thing? Like half an inch. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, well, you can use it as a scale focus camera. You, well, you, you, yeah, you, the, the, you can, but then I've got other scale focus cameras. I'd rather use than. You see what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, it's like everything that it should do. I would rather do with some other camera. <laughs> yeah. So I, which oh, is, yeah. I, I know that's silly, but I, you know, if I'm if I'm going to use a camera with a rangefinder, I want to have a proper rangefinder. If I'm going to use a camera with scale focus, I want it to be an easier to read scale focus, you know, mm-hmm. uh,
0: indicator. I mean, it's just like there's there's always a reason I'm going to pick something else up. It's that it's that jack of all trades things. Uh, no, yeah, I, mean, I think it really excels at is being small. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's yeah. that said, I did pick up a because my next point to shoot camera that I will be using is a Olympus Mew Two. Uh, so oh, nice. I, I picked one of those up. with It's got a, a broken um, uh, battery door on it. Um, it's okay, just, it's just a bit of plastic chipped off at the bottom, so it does actually close and it'll hold the battery in place. So it's uh, so it's just one of those things that doesn't it doesn't look as nice as it could do. Um, but some, sometimes, yeah, when you pick up a camera like that, and yeah, because it's ugly or whatever, but you know it works. I, I think you can get more pleasure out of it because you're just not bothered about it in the same yep. way.
2: Now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So now there's a situation. If you had an XA and mu U two, I would choose the XA. <laughs> yeah,
0: me, yeah, yeah, me too. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. And why, and why why wouldn't you use the 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 the, the darling of point and shoot cameras of Oh,
2: I I I can't be bothered to wait for it to get ready to use and turn the flash off and you know. I just I, I yeah. at that point I'd rather use the XA and just have a scale focused camera. Yeah. With yeah. probably a slightly better viewfinder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it feels nicer in the hand as well. Yeah. You no, know, XA is just a cute little thing to have in your pocket. Whereas the the <laughs> Mu Yeah. I, I've never I've never I mean I like the Mew too, but I I I'm with
0: Johnny here. It's just uh so that's a, take- that's, so that's another vote for the XA then. So uh, that's, uh, that, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's great. I, I lied, by the way. I do have
1: a film point and shoot, but it's one of the few cameras I've never used. <laughs> uh, I have a Leica Lux that's brand new in box sitting oh, on my wow. shelf. Yeah, it was given to me as a gift. Yeah. And I, I've taken it out and just sort of played with it. Uh, but I haven't actually used it because it's just – Oh, I don't know, man. It's brand new in box. Like it's one of these things where my inner collector is just like, keep this, keep this, keep this. But the lens on that is stunning. I mean, that forty millimeter f two point four. Yeah. I really got to go and shoot with that. Satellite. Yeah, but the, the original point of bringing up small cameras uh, and having two cameras at once was not to talk about the context. T. Um, it was talk about the other thing I've had in my bag. Uh, which is a new lens that I picked up off eBay with a, uh, one of Cheyenne Morrison's purchasing tips, which is to look out for spelling errors. Um, so I picked up a... a uh, I don't know, how do I pronounce this? A W-A-Cal QA 35mm uh,
0: f3.5 why, why would one of those be difficult to list properly? <laughs>
1: uh, they, they, It was missing an L from the cow. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you can't even Sorry.
0: say it. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I don't know how I stumbled upon this. I think eBay might even have recommended it to me. And it had a buy it now price of like 150 bucks with shipping. Wow. Uh, and it came with the viewfinder as well, which I didn't think it's anything crazy. of it. Yeah. I didn't think <laughs> anything of it until Johnny told me. That viewfinder is stunning. I, I compared yeah. it side by side with uh, my Voidlander thirty-five millimeter bright line viewfinder, and this one doesn't have bright lines, but it's parallax corrected and it is brighter and
2: clearer than the Vo-
1: Voidlander. It's gorgeous.
2: Yeah, that that viewfinder is it has it's in like the viewfinder hall of fame. <laughs> I, I would have paid this
1: price just for this finder if I had known yeah. no how good. Yeah, right. I th- I just saw it as a freebie that came with the lens, but my. Gosh, it's sweet. It doesn't have the distortion of the of the Voigtlander as well. It's just like, oh
0: man. Would yeah. you have? Which is just as, a, as an aside. Do either of you have an idea on why these clip-on viewfinders for your know, hot shoe or cold shoe viewfinders are so expensive?
1: Because people tend to use them with Leica lenses. Yeah,
0: that's probably the best. That's probably the best answer. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, a very yeah. disappointed answer, there, isn't it? Really, but, <laughs> but it, it just never really made sense to me because you know you can buy a lens for X amount of pounds or dollars, and then you look at the the viewfinder, and and it, and it's just silly money.
2: Well, I uh, okay, I'm a bit of a viewfinder fanatic myself, so I, I, I here's this. My take on it would be this: is that I'm really picky about the ones that I actually want to use, um, and a really good viewfinder. I mean. There's a lot of mediocre ones, but the really, really good ones, I, they really do change the whole experience. Oh yeah, I'm, I, I mean, yeah. So like a a really good a really good viewfinder that your framing is going to be almost like SLR level accuracy in terms of what's in the frame, which you know on a rangefinder that's pretty great. Um, and I think that the just the ease of use that it brings kind of changes the whole experience of using can change the whole experience of using a camera. So I think a really, a really good viewfinder that's easy to see. And I know that a lot of people with glasses, that's another big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the really good ones are, they're just, they make the experience of using the camera so much better that yeah. once you use them, you can't, it's like you you can't go back. <laughs> They're so don't, good. Yeah, don't cheap no. out on the
1: external finder. Yeah, it, right. Exactly. But you're going to end up buying a nicer one. I mean, I, I know I say this from experience. Uh, I yes. bought the Canon external viewfinder and I got the Voidlander one so quickly after that, just because it, it was so much better.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, you you certainly notice this with, with cameras with integrated uh, viewfinders and rangefinders and most of them are relatively much of a muchness in terms of brightness. And you also get some that are larger and smaller. And going back to the XA, it's tiny and it's just hard to use. Um, and then you, you pick up a Leica M camera and look through that and you think, Oh, where mm-hmm. have you been? You know, it's, it's the, the difference is quite remarkable. Um, so there's, there's clearly a, a, an art to making a, a, a top high quality viewfinder. Yeah. And it can't be yeah. easy because, you know, even, you know, I've had a, a Voigtlander Besser R relatively recently. I'm not sure when they made Besser R. So, I mean, it's one of the older of the uh, the, the um, Casina uh, made um, Bessers. But the the viewfinder on that was definitely not as bright as the the 1956 viewfinder on on my M2. And I yep. was quite shocked uh, to to experience that. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, and it's it's you. It's what you look through when you shoot, so it, it, it's the most important part, I think. Yeah, right. You know? So, um, so yeah. Get if you're gonna use external viewfinders, get the best you can. I mean, I, I would love to use the tiny microscopic Voigtländer twenty eight thirty five integrated finder, but I can't see through with my glasses properly.
2: Yeah, those. Yeah, th- those are also one of those legendary. I think Hamish was talking about that finder, how much he liked mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, they're, it's so expensive. Just, they're really expensive and they're just, they're tiny. I would rather just have a bigger finder. Yeah. Those I mean, ones are like 300 pounds. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. But
1: uh, so, so for any listeners who are looking for uh, external finders, what
2: would you recommend Johnny for, for external finders? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think any there are any better finders made than the Voigtlanders than the Casinas
1: Yeah, that's that's the bright lines. Would-
2: they're they're I mean they're
1: fantastic. I have except for the Leica 50 millimeter metal well, finder,
2: right? Which yeah, although the Voitlander version of it is essentially exactly they're like clones almost. Yeah. Although mine um, won't fit on my 3F. I oh, have really? A Voigtlander,
1: I have a Voitlander one. It won't fit on my 3F. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, I have the one that came with the uh, anniversary edition fifty three point five Heliar. Okay. Yeah, and it was it was quite surprising. But then I googled it, and apparently it it
2: just doesn't fit on Barnax. Huh. Well, because I I have um, I mean, I have a few of them. I actually now have a couple of the thirty five Brightline finders, which I I mean, mm -hmm. I just that finder is so good. Um, It's awesome. Yeah. So like that, you know. Uh, that's the finder I use in my Canon P it's the can. I mean, it's the finder I basically use anytime I'm using a 35 millimeter lens now. Um, so I, I love that finder. Uh, so that one in particular is great, but then, I mean, all just all of their, even their, the, the, th- the thing is, even the plastic finders are, uh, they're really good. I mean, and they, yeah. they're actually, they're actually probably nicer to use in some ways than the metal finders. Cause the, the, you know, the pupil is bigger and they just don't, they don't look quite as slick and the metal ones look like just freaking correct. I mean, they, you can put them on a camera from the 1950s and it looks like it was made to go on that camera. They're just yeah. really, really aesthetically beautiful and nice to use. And optically they're really nice as well. So yeah, I really like the Voigtlander finders actually the one I would really like to get is the, um, Combined 2125. Oh, yes, that's uh, nice. Yeah, the metal bright line. I'd really like to get one because I have the both the plastic 25 and 21 finders. And I'm like, you know, I could sell all those finders and get one finder. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of thinking about that because yeah, those things are just so nice to use. Uh, and they make a 15 millimeter finder. I I mean, I'm not that crazy. Um, because I kind of feel like the 15 is just so wide it, the finder, as long as you point it in the right direction, you know you're always going to get more than what you see anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, it's not, you know, it's not really worth the trouble or the expense to get the 15. But it's I mean, more of I think, a
1: frame to show you where your feet are.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. But I mean, the 30 to me, like the, you know, the 20, the the 21 up through like 50 millimeter, they're they're just really nice to have. Um, I mean, even the 50 you were mentioning uh Perry, you know, when I'm when I'm using the a Barnack style camera, I don't use the viewfinder on those at all for anything but focusing. I yeah. use an external viewfinder even for 50 millimeter. Oh, I would love uh, that
1: if if it actually fit. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. And so the old Leica one is probably worth getting then. Yeah. Um, because it it, you know, it's it it's actually really bright. I have also the Leica 35 finder and it's okay but the Voigtlander one is way better. So like the yeah. metal the metal like a one that sells for like you know those are like $400 now for a nice one. The Voigtlander finder is much nicer <laughs> for $200. So totally. yeah, so to me like the Voigtlander finders are just they're I, they're incredible and i i'm not i'm not actually convinced anybody but casina makes finders anymore i mean i th- i think of the ones that are rebranded like you can get um size yeah, ones y- yeah i think they're all made by casina like there yeah, there's so. there's ones for the the rico there's a couple models yeah, where yeah. they have a finder right there's olympus has a a finder for one of their i'm i'm convinced they're all casinas <laughs> i don't think anybody makes finders other than casino at this point
1: does the does the voilander 21 millimeter plastic one have uh, bright lines yeah i have the 15 and it doesn't
2: well i think there's two versions of it i think there's a with and without bright line okay. um yeah because like the 15 millimeter is not bright line the plastic yeah. one uh but the 21 that i have is bright line but i'm pretty sure there's a 21 non-bright line also Okay,
1: I th- yeah, I think that's the one I saw because I ended up buying the Leica twenty-one millimeter plastic one. Yeah, um, just bright. The bright lines are gorgeous on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, th- and those are nice. They're just to me the Leica ones. Like, there's a they make a twenty-four millimeter finder, and it they're just they're like eight hundred dollars new.
1: Yeah, the price is, is
2: Yeah, and I'm like, why would you? Unless you really wanted to say Leica on it, there is no reason on earth because the the Voitlander the Casina Voitlander finder is. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe somebody can objectively say the one is a little bit better than the other, but they're really well made and they work great, and they're like two hundred dollars if you can find them. So yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that recommendation. The Boylanders are the way to go. Yeah. Um. So I would love to have a whole line of those things in like every focal length, but I I, I do think I, I would like to sell. My 21 and my 25 and get the combined metal 2125, which I'm pretty sure Camera quest still has that new in stock. Um Ooh. I you know, I should just ask him because he's got my my uh my roly that they're realigning it after I wa- whacked it out of out of alignment, the okay. rangefinder. So maybe he can send me that one of those back with it. And I'm so. tempted to pick up a
1: twenty-five millimeter so I can get the ZM twenty five two eight.
2: Oh, yeah okay yeah
1: so we might have that conversation but this this a cal viewfinder um, the other thing it's got going for it is uh, apart from the fact that it's parallax corrected so it, it's one of those old finders with the distance scale on the back that moves it up and down yeah those um, are cool it, it, they are cool it's also black paint uh,
0: <laughs>
1: so it, it, it's starting to brass and it, it fits perfectly with my uh, my black paint uh, like a 3f.
2: Right, right. Well, <laughs> that's, apparently that's you great. Have an issue here, it looks too nice.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, man, I love viewfinders. I'm I'm yeah. just, I'm a sucker for viewfinders.
1: But but I guess I should talk about the lens itself as <laughs> we spent like 15 <laughs> minutes talking about the viewfinder that it came with. Um, this lens is not that easy to find. Uh, and I, I saw one in a shop in Hong Kong that was you know, fairly good condition. The glass wasn't perfect. The exterior was perfect, except some dude had scratched his name into the barrel, uh, which annoyed me. So, so after after playing with it, I kind of knew that I had to have one. Apparently, it's a double Gauss, and w- which I find quite impressive given the size. But I, I put it on my Sony just to do some stress tests. And apart from being a really nice performer, the flare that it produces uh, when it's hard to make it flare because it's multi-coded. but when you have um, a strong light source and you get a bit of ghosting, it's a bright blue flare, which I haven't seen very much in many lenses. Hmm. And you mentioned because it was it's the same as a Kimura lens um, and that was also sold as an honor brand and a few others. And you mentioned something, Johnny, that the 3535 is a cult lens among UV shooters
2: uh yeah some of them some of them are um as a matter of and that one is in particular because apparently the uv there's the uv transmission i can never keep this straight is either uh very high or very low but whatever whichever direction it is it's the right direction <laughs> um so yeah they they love they i guess they love that lens
1: So i wonder if the unusual blue flare has something to do with it's oh that's uh, po- I, I suppose that's possible what what is UV photography by the way? I have no idea.
2: Dude, you you, you got to look it up and see the pictures. It's just it's basically like it's basically the same idea as infrared photography. It's just out of the visual spectrum. Um but it's it has I guess there's two Whoa. purpose there's two purposes for it. One is just it looks cool, so some people like to do it because it looks, you know, it looks different. Um but then there are people who do it like the last time I sold uh, a specialized lens that did infrared or did UV. It was actually to someone who worked in uh, a lab doing like scientific stuff. And they literally bought it to do, you know, to mount this thing on a microscope or whatever um, for, la- for lab use. So, I mean, there's a scientific end to it as well for people who are doing, you know, whatever, for whatever reason you need to do ue photography scientifically so there's that market for it as well which is quite uh quite large yeah i just googled it
1: and it's a bunch of pictures of people with freckles yeah and the, yeah yeah and the freckles are like super 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 dark
2: yeah yeah right so it's 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 just it's it's like when you see landscape photos of you know people who do to infrared photography that makes the trees all glowy and white. I mean, it's a, it's a similar idea as that, but it's a you know a different end of the
0: spectrum that our eyes are not visible to. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I always thought it had something to do with astrophotography, but uh...
2: it, well, it probably does. I mean, there's probably an astro, uh, you know, use for it as well. I would I would think.
0: I've got to say, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at some of these shots that we're probably all looking at at the moment, and uh, yeah, there is there is something about it. It's, it's it's like a lot of these things though. when you when you've got something that can give you a special effect, it, it, your your immediate viewers, oh wow, that's, that's 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 great, and you can go wild with it, and then you you start start to think about it and think, well, actually that's just interesting simply because of an effect rather than the composition or, or that it's been used in a particular right. way. Yeah. And, and it's, it's that thing to actually find what, what is the, you know, the best way to actually use this artistically rather than just for almost like shock value, if you like.
2: Yeah. And, and, so, and it's like, it's like everything. There are people that do that, um, that do you know that that do use that effect to good purpose versus using it to like cliched purpose um so that stuff is out there
0: right yeah. uh I've, I've, I've got to say and uh, talking about people that, that can do these things to to good effect um ed if you're listening ed um edward noble um this this sounds like the next thing you should be looking at So, uh, having done your 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 (laughs) your infrared and your uh, bokeh panoramas, oh yeah, sure, UV photography, Ed. Yeah. So you know what's you you know what's interesting. I I was
1: just while you were talking, I was wondering whether different films have different UV sensitivities. Oh yeah. Uh, So I'm I was googling it right now, and and because I have a I'm shooting this lens, and I haven't finished a roll with it. Uh, but I'm just shooting Tri-X with it. I I think. Um, but apparently HP five has uh the uh, sort of among the highest uv sensitivity uh of sort of normal consumer black and white films i wonder if that would be noticeable hmm. Hmm. Maybe. only one way to find out yeah yeah but you know th- this lens uh i'm shooting it on a barnac and so the only thing that i wish it had were a focus tab yeah that makes sense yeah so then, just, it, then it's just sort of faster to scale focus it. Right.
2: Because it's got kind of that it's that kind of short, very round barrel. Yeah.
1: Right. It, it, yeah, it's scalloped. It feels really nice. It's it's yeah. solid brass.
2: That's um, kind of like the kind of like the um the Canon 50 F2. Right? Uh, I mean yeah. it's not exactly shaped like that, but a similar idea, and it, it does not have a tab. You mean the 35 F2? Yeah, the 30 35 F2. Uh,
1: a little, a little. It feels a lot more robust than the Canon yeah uh it, it's sort of denser you know
2: yeah yeah yeah. But similar similar
1: idea yeah with a slightly longer throw but it's a cool lens i'll, I'll post the results when i'm finally finished this roll of film with it cool
0: yeah. right well uh having done that uh we've got a couple of emails haven't we i'm just wondering if we should uh if we should drop into those johnny Yeah,
2: um, how about we uh, take a quick break and then jump back on that? Is it okay? We can do that. All right. Okay, so we're back and we're going to do some email reading and discussing. Um, And I guess this would be a good time to say that uh, the emails here on Classic Lenses Podcast uh, are sponsored by, not sponsored by, Jepson's Malord. Chicago's very own fine, bitter, Swedish liqueur. Uh Jeffson's Malord, it tastes like a dirty doorknob. Uh, so so thank you for not
0: sponsoring us, Jepson's Malord. Uh, if it was if it was in Dorset in the UK, we'd throw it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly. It tastes like a dirty doorknob or a knob, a Dorset knob being used as a doorknob that's been thrown into the mud, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hello, Simon, Johnny, and Perry. As a user of Canon FD and like RF since the early 70s, I thought my experiences might be of interest to Simon in his choice. Johnny, Johnny. Johnny, Who
0: Who would this letter be from this evening?
2: Oh, I don't know. I deleted that part accidentally. (laughs) Do you
0: guys know who it's from? I do. I do. It's from Michael Ward. Oh, very good. And not only that, I actually... So I've, I can, well we've got the picture of, of Michael here and I recognize that picture because he's on Twitter as well as Perceptive Light because I, I hadn't actually oh, made the uh, made the jump between the two there so uh, yeah. there you go okay. like, I know that person I've seen that picture before so Michael Ward from Michael Ward very good
2: all right right, gonna I'll take it from the top Michael Ward says hello Simon, Johnny and Perry as a user of Canon FD and Leica RF since the early 70s I thought my experiences might be of interest to Simon in his choice of FD mount camera. I arrived at the need for a good hard working SLR after a Russian security guard smashed my Olympus with a metal detector at Moscow Airport while on my way home to Canada in 1973. On the basis of weight for weight, the Canon FTB was about the toughest thing on the market. I still have it, but the light meter has died. Much of my work requires close-ups so SLRs are essential even uh, even though I have a preference for rangefinders. The bulk of my professional work was for garden magazines, urban landscape designers, and planners. Some work required uh, manual focus, and for that... No, I'm sorry. <laughs> some some work required MF. In this case, that's going to mean medium format. And for that, I have a Pentax 6.7 kit with the 75, 105, 150, 2.8, and 200. Uh, the 150... 2.8 is seldom mentioned but is a stellar lens with the F with the FTB came the need for a second body the first f1 was equally tough but I did wear it out eventually uh, one thing about the original f1 which will possibly not work for lads of a certain age is the viewfinder meter readout is on the lower part of the viewfinder which is quite difficult to see when wearing specs. The AE-1 has to be mentioned. It's possibly the best user camera Canon has ever made. Oh, I just threw up my mouth a little bit there. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I think total units sold would underline that claim. Uh, But the electronics die. However, there is one other camera, which ironically is the only FD that Canon didn't make. It's the Canon T60 made by Cosina. And it was Also, the very last FD made in 1990. The T60 had the best implementation of aperture priority of any FD, although I found the F1N with the meter boost prism impeccably reliable. I'm actually thinking of acquiring another with the magnifying viewfinder, very useful for aging eyes. I switched over to EOS uh, with the first EOS one in 1989-90, but held on to the T60 to use the collection FD glass along with too many M42 lenses. Canon had their own branded FD to M42 adapter given away and sold between the change from breech mount to the uh, N new bayonet mount. My remaining T60 is still going strong. I sold the other with the EOS One in a uh, grand clear out to purchase digital kit. Because Canon slash Cosina T60 guts were used in many cameras, Nikon Voigtlander, Cosina, uh, Topcon RE, Rival, and several European OEMs. There are parts around to scavenge scavenge from. Uh, So my FD choices are Canon F1N or the Canon T60. Its plastic body is tough with a good viewfinder. The meter is still first rate and being so light makes a day's walking easier a note to johnny i don't know about the t50 but the t70 is a very clever little camera i use one occasionally as a manual point and shoot uh with a small 35 millimeter lens on it thanks for the podcast and it's a pleasure to hear your accent i knew the potteries well in a previous life as i grew up in the northwest kind regards michael ward
0: well, what a lovely letter, especially at the end there. Uh, um, <laughs> just, just so uh, uh, people under, understand that about uh, uh, Pottery's accent. That's that's the other way of saying my accent uh, was the accent. There's Stoke-on-Trent, as a city, is uh, also known as the Potteries because that was the main industry, um, and it's still in industry now, but it's, it's decimated to what it, what it once was. But, uh, uh this, this city was, was famous for ceramics and it's the, the home of places like, uh, Wedgwood, uh, Dalton, um, and, and Spode and, me- and many more. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm from Stoke and, uh, we don't all talk exactly like me. Uh, sometimes some of us have got a, a broader accent and some of us have got less of an accent. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, nice to know that you, uh, you've, you've <laughs> you you've recognised this part of the world. Very good. Um, another thing, I just realised this was this largely aimed towards me, so I better um, carry on. Um, and that is, I've just Googled that T60, and I really don't want one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's probably... uh, uh
0: it's so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just that it's it's a i'm i, I haven't got a specific downer on casino in any shape or form you know I, you know they make great lenses now and, it's
2: a nikon fm10 i and, mean it's and, the same yeah, camera
0: and a besser and all, yeah. all, all all of those things i just just don't like them um they just feel too light um and i mean we've probably talked about this kind of thing in the past where people associate uh, weight and quality um and then they moan that something's too heavy um you, know, you, you can't you can't have it both ways and i've I realized that and therefore i tend to go f- i tend to value heavier things but they feel more solid and they feel better in the in the hand than one of these uh light cameras so um uh, that explains uh, the metalist <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes it does and and my uh yeah and, and heading towards large format yeah, that that yeah. does does make a lot of sense there. Um, yeah, and I prefer a Contax T over a, 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 over an XA, uh, which is again uh, light versus heavy. Um, so yeah, so no no T60 heading my way. Um, F1N um, is definitely on my my list of choices, of which I think I've already said before, oh. um, along with the T90, and I think it's just going to be a case of which ever one of those two comes in my direction first is at the right price. Of course, is going to be the, the one that gets the gig. Um, but I'm hearing more and more about dodgy shutters on, uh, on T nineties, which is making yeah. me a little bit nervous. So I, I, out of the two, that's probably the camera that I favor because I, I do like my bells and whistles on cameras. I like, I like cameras that do things. Even if I don't use the functions, I, I, I do quite like to know that they're there. Um, which you don't get with the F1N um, because it's just a normal, regular, proper camera. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, but yeah, the T90 is sort of my favorite, but I, my mind is telling me, uh, go, go with the F1. Yeah,
1: my, my uh, Canon FD body of choice is the FTB. Um, mm. My brother has one and I, I've used it and it's, it's perfectly tolerable. Yeah. uh which is h- the highest praise i can give to an fd body no exactly. <laughs> uh
2: yeah you can't it's you really can't go wrong with that camera i mean if you if you like a unnecessarily large slr that's big and yeah. heavy it's great yeah the um,
1: size is, is totally ridiculous
2: yeah but i mean that, that that's that's why i say that i i tend to go towards the original f1 because it just it looks so much nicer than the ftb to to my eyes it's much more aesthetically pleasing and with the same heft um i, I think a bl- a bl- original black f1 is a really nice camera so
1: um but simon I, I can i pick up on something that you just said uh not related to fd cameras
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you just said that you like cameras that have bells and whistles and weird features that you don't use yeah do, do you have any examples of this because because i have a digital camera that i want to recommend you if you like this kind of stuff
2: <laughs> oh <Uh-oh>, oh
1: <uh-oh. laughs> but no, no no it's a digital camera that i absolutely adore but but i want to ask simon first what are some of these bells and whistles that you enjoy but are useless
0: <laughs> well it's it's just it's 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 hard to say really well I, well i I guess one of the one of the things I particularly like, and it's not really that much of a bell, bells and whistles thing, and that's a shutter speed and a, and a fast shutter speed. So, the, a T ninety appeals to me over an F one n um, because it's uh, I get I get four thousandths of a second out of it, and wow. and I can see, and I you know there are times where I know that that would make a difference to a shot. So, I, I like to have something like that. Um, but it's I guess it's things like options with your metering. Um, I tend to just use centre weighted, uh, but it's nice to be able to have spot metering in there. Um what else? Uh it's things like I, I tell you, I love my contacts RX and AX as well for that matter. Um in fact actually I love my AX even even more. It's just so big. Um but the fact that you can just tell it to do things like uh you can program it to when it's finished the roll of film, it will leave some of the film out or you can have it so it winds all the all of the film in. Um, it's it's little things like that, you know, And and with the AX, you know, I can nice I can I can make the thing autofocus if I want to, and if I don't want to use it as an autofocus. And and don't forget, we're talking about normal manual focused lenses. I can I can turn a dial on it, and it immediately gives me a built-in extension, so I can do macro work with it. You know, it's I think those those having the ability to do these these extra little things when you. You you might not know that you're going out and you're going to need these things, but when you've actually got it on your camera, and it's just there, there are times where because I'm using that camera, I've managed to get the shot, or it's all the shot's just that much easier to get, and I like that. Okay, fair that enough.
2: Sense.
1: Yeah, sounds sounds to me like you need a one of those Canon EOS Elan two E's that have the eye focus selector. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I, I think Don't I even think have to so
0: think <laughs> I do, I do fancy one of those. I've, I've got to say. And I, I did,
2: um, of course, you do. Yeah,
0: I, I, I had uh, as, I had one as well. And I never, I didn't have a Canon autofocus lens uh, to, to it, try it with at the time. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. I mean, I've
2: I've messed around with them at the yeah. shop, and it, you know, it kind of halfway works. I think it, if, it works. Yeah, it, it, people who are like who use them a lot, they they love it, and I think that if you really get a feel for that, I you know, the eye tracking stuff, you can get really good at it.
1: I used to have one and it was great until the film door broke.
0: Yeah. Cause it's, the, you know, plastic. Yeah. Nice handling, right. The nice handling cameras are for remember member right, as well. The, you know, because a lot of the, you know, the nineties and early two thousands Canon EOS cameras, in fact, EOS cameras from the start in the, uh, just, uh, just a bit cheap and nasty, in my opinion. Um, and, but, Pretty much everybody else's cameras, except contacts, it seems, we're heading in in, in that kind of direction. But it, yeah. it's uh, but it's a is a sheer coincidence. Um, I've just I've actually just bought a Canon EOS camera, um, and I've bought an EOS Ten, and it's to take part in the uh, the ultra low ISO club's next project, which I think I mentioned last week uh, because I'm going to be getting yeah, hold of did. some sprocketless film at point six or point eight of a, an ISO um and that is one of the cameras that's known to be able to take that film without a problem um so uh looking uh, forward to that and actually i'm just going to say there's a little story attached to this i've i've only bought it over the weekend but it's one of those ebay deals that you do where you uh you you spot something and, and it's got um a price on you know, it no it's on at a as an auction and you've got a best offer so I think, oh, let's bang in an offer there. Um, so so I did. So I, put, <laughs> so I put the offer in, and it was a little bit more than the starting price, but it wasn't a lot of money. And the offer got ignored, and uh, and I sniped it, and I I sniped it for less than my offer, um, which always makes me feel good. That's great. Yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah. Can can we just really really quick? Um, so your offer was less than the starting
0: price, and they didn't accept it no no my, my offer was more than the starting price okay because i f, yeah. i'm fundamentally
2: miss i'm fundamentally not understanding what the f people are thinking when they put a low starting price or best offer uh, well
0: it's a, why are you doing this backwards people i i can tell <laughs> i yeah I, I, I can i can I, t- I can tell you why i think that's happening and i and i think it's also i think it's an ebay thing right It it, if, it is and yeah and the fact that my offer was ignored um, it's not doesn't actually surprise me either, um, and and it's a case of I know that people have put things onto eBay and they've and they've gone out with offers and people have not actually understood uh, that it's going out going out with an offer they didn't intend for it to have an offer on it uh, yeah it's just that because they haven't unticked or unchecked a box it, just, it does it by default. Um, in, in many cases until you've unticked it or un- unchecked it it yeah. will stay it will stay it's... on there every time it's really annoying to people
2: yeah right because i put po- everything that i post for the shop is posted with a price or best offer and the thought is that the best offer is always lower than the listed price so when i see something listed for a low price that says or best offer i'm like so you want less for that yeah I- it's just really bizarre (laughs) anyway sorry no 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 ebay bizarreness yeah
0: so uh anyway so that's 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 my uh that's my little little eos story there so should we should we go on to i don't have we got three emails or is it just two this week i can't can't remember
1: do the other email and then i'm gonna give you a digital camera recommendation because yes
2: okay excellent okay uh, we have, Oh, I'll read this whole thing. It looks really funny this way because it, I don't know where, I guess I copied this from the email, but it says a new query has been submitted by Chuck Orger on Friday, the 11th of October, 2019 at eight twenty three and 40 seconds PM. Uh, hi guys. You recently discussed Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bridges using a wide Lux. I, I saw the dude there and I got all flustered. Uh, Well, B&H Photography Podcast has just had Jeff on their October 10th episode, during which he discusses at length his use of the wide lux and the new book he has coming out featuring his photographs. Thought your listeners might be interested. Chuck Orger, Austin, Texas. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Chuck, for uh, sending that. I, I also saw um, a little – there was a little bit on uh, The Guardian this week where they had a little outtake of um, – Jeff Bridges writing a little, you know, monograph of, uh, using the wide, like how he got started using the wide Lux, which I assume he, you know, wrote for the, for the new book,
0: which is really interesting. It's, I mean, every, everybody should see his work. It's great stuff. Yeah. It was also on the Kodakery podcast as well, quite recently as well. Yeah. Um, which is of course the, the only reason, because he's out there in so many different places, that's the only reason we didn't book him, isn't it, Johnny? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> Who was Jeff Bridges? He's, he's, he's everywhere. So. Yeah. Oh dear. No mind. We're too, too
2: late on that one. There you go. <laughs> Well, the co actually that Kodakery interview he did is older. Um, he did in the past, but it's, you know, he's doing, he's doing a little bit of publicity tour stuff for the new book, which as he should, you know, because um, it's, it's more photos of his wide looks wide photography so so he's so he's putting himself out there a little bit for
0: that at the moment yeah okay is that is that the last one yeah i think it's just yeah, a, yeah. just the two yeah but so uh, the reason why i'm asking that question is because somehow i seem to have managed to delete all my sent emails oh would they come back now that's good i was getting a little bit worried there um so there we go that's 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 good so um that means we need to go back to perry because you've got this uh, digital camera recommendation for me
1: Yes, I'm going to recommend to you my personal favorite digital point-and-shoot, which is the camera that made me sell my Fuji X100T, uh, which is one of my favorite digital cameras of all time. Um, Talking about bells and whistles, the Ricoh GR, Rico Ricoh GR2. What what, what was that sound?
2: (laughs) Nothing. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is the camera that I'm going to recommend. Have, have either of you tried this camera? I know that I know it's not a classic lens. has very little to do with our podcast. But you know what? People often ask me, a few people this week in the group have asked me, um, do I have any digital cameras? Do I shoot digital at all? This one, you know, I have a Leica M240. I use that to test lenses. I have a bunch of digital cameras. This is my favorite one. Wow.
0: Really?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so have either of you used it?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I guess I'll I'll go first because I've got I, I clearly have less experience of this camera than uh, than Johnny. Um it it it's one of those cameras that looks really interesting. Uh, there's no 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 question although I think I'm if I was to go with a, a compact digital I, I still draw more towards uh, one of the X100 cameras that just seems to be the way to go even though Fuji's do my head in. Uh, in so many different ways. It's still the camera that I, I, I think I could make the effort to, to like more than the uh, the Ricoh. Um, I've held the old... So. Sorry?
1: Understandably so.
0: Yeah. Um, I've held uh, the older Ricoh um, uh, GR, uh, various versions of them, uh, film cameras, which all feel great to me. Um, I like the idea of them, um, as, as, as well. Um, but I get the feeling the reason why I, I wouldn't go that way is also the reason what, why, the, well, it might be what Johnny's about to talk about in terms of, uh, longevity and build quality. So, uh, Johnny, am, yeah. I, am I on the right lines
2: there? Yeah, I've seen so many broken Rego GR2s and they all have failed in the same way. Um, that just makes me. I, I would just avoid them. I mean, to me, how the hell they failed. Uh, the lens detaches inside the barrel, so it no longer focuses because the lens is now detached inside the lens yeah. barrel. I've seen about six of those. I'm not even exaggerating. Um, yeah. So, it's, so to me, I'm like, you know, I I look at that camera and I look at the, um, uh, oh, the was the Fuji with the 28 millimeter lens with the, the x whatever the x x70. uh x70 yeah yeah, which is basically the same it's the same focal length it's the same yeah. more or less handling um in a it's camera a little that bit bigger to the point it's it's where li- it's yeah. not as pocketable as the Ricoh. right it's a little it's a little bit yeah. bigger um but we'll Maybe last more than a year, so it has that going for it.
1: So I I've had this for a couple of years, and and yeah. there is a guy in Hong Kong who repairs them. But but I mean that aside, Simon, let's talk about some of the bells and whistles of this thing. Because I do <laughs> love the x hundred, but this thing it, it has just a few features that are utterly genius, uh, in my opinion. Um number one, uh my favorite feature by far, it has a feature called Snap Focus. Um, And what that does is it allows you to, with a digital depth of field scale, it allows you to preset a distance uh, for the camera. And so normally when you're shooting with it, it's autofocus. Uh, But you can set it so that you press one button on the back and it will snap to that focus distance. And then you shoot at that distance for a pre-focused scale focus camera. So I have mine set at uh, at 2.5 meters. So I know that if I turn the camera to f five point six, f uh, five actually, all I have to do is press that button and bam, and everything from like one and a half meters to infinity is in focus. It's genius for street shooting.
0: And I, I can I can absolutely see the point there. And, and and again, that's you know the GR cameras are well known and favorited by uh, street shooters, and I think that's probably the other reason why i do wonder if it's really for me uh, because i'm just i'm yeah. just not that kind of shooter really
1: that's fair i mean it's got a built-in macro mode which i guess most cameras have that it has a built-in nd filter for something this size mm-hmm. um and just i mean i just this thing is awesome there's so much customizability about it built-in flash it's truly pocketable um <laughs> yeah if you television- is this is this yeah. for sale <laughs> No, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And right. yeah. and the, the I know I sound like a spokesperson here, but we never get to talk about these kinds of cameras and we're talking a lot about film, but I love this thing. The black and white uh, mm-hmm. presets, they have a black and white mode and then they have a high contrast black and white mode, which is like a Johnny Sisson mode. Um, <laughs> and, and I've sort of started using that lately because it looks really good. It really like jacks up the contrast in all the right places. So, yeah. there's my little sort of Ricoh GR um, e- eulogizing. You know, for the, the X100 has their film simulations. This has sort of like cross processing simulations and stuff. It's good. Yeah.
2: It's, you know, I'm, I, it, it's a really cool camera. And people who like them and are in the zone with them, they adore them. And I, you know, yeah. hey, man, I'm never going to knock something that somebody really enjoys using because it's good for them. I mean, more power to them. You know, it's just, I I feel like, it unfortunately suffers from a really pretty common uh, defect that causes them to expire early.
0: And sensor dust is an issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's unforgivable though, isn't it? Sensor dust on a, on a compact camera. I mean, that's, that's just too much. That, that just wind me up royally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, nobody's immune to that though. I mean, you can almost any compact camera can get, Dust in it eventually, but yeah, it's it does suck though, because <laughs> mm. it's pretty much fatal. Because the cost to, unless it's not under warranty, the cost to get it fixed is going to exceed the camera value.
1: But you know, it is. It's one of those. Um, well, the the guy again, I'm I'm lucky. The guy in Hong Kong who fixes them does it for relatively cheap, um, and and he will just be able to fix those common issues plus a couple of the common electronic issues. Uh, and I can't believe I'm being the uh, champion of digital here, but it's also one of those cameras where it's digital presets do something that I can't achieve myself, kind of like some of Fuji's presets. So so that's nice, too. But my favorite way of shooting this camera, actually, um, is to turn off the display at the back and stick a 28 millimeter external viewfinder on the top.
2: Now that I like, Perry. Geez. And th- yeah, that I then, like,
1: <laughs> and then just you know incorporate both the autofocus and the snap mode, right? Yeah. So I have a shutter button for shooting autofocus with the external finder, or um, if I'm not sure, then I just hit pre-focus at two and a half meters, and bang.
2: Yeah, that I could totally be down with. I just, I, I, I just I personally cannot stomach shooting a camera off a back screen at all. Yeah. But yeah, I I really like the idea of digital like point and shoots with external finders on them. I think that's rad. And it's pocketable.
0: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, talking of uh, positive digital stories, um, I think we're going to have to leave mine to another <laughs> week. Um, <laughs> because we've, we've gone on for long enough. Um, and interesting. We did, we did talk about last week about saying, yeah, is was how, how long 's too long on, on the podcast. And we did get a, a few responses uh, in, in the uh, in the group, um, our dedicated Facebook group for the podcast, and uh, and other places, and uh, and there was no real consensus that came out of it. In fact, not many people were bothered to actually say anything about it. To be honest, so uh, um, and on that front, actually, I am going to actually there was somebody who was saying about an hour and a half as perhaps a, a sweet spot. Um, but it's all going to be down to the, the the way people actually listen to podcasts and how they actually fit in their lives. And long shows are, are also uh, uh, popular with some people as well, including Mr. Nigel Cliff, um, who has uh, donated to us again on uh, coffee.com. That's K-O-Dash fi.com um if you do search for uh, search for classic landy's podcast you'll find our page and you can uh, help us out if you wish um and nigel cliff has donated again and his comment was if you shorten the show uh, you will receive oh i can 't read can i 'm hopeless at this. Um, just give me some haikus to butcher as well um, uh, okay i 'm going to try again now it's only it 's only one sentence as well, and i can 't manage it um, If you shorten the show, you will lower the price of the cuff. Okay, I'm just going to say, if we, if we make it shorter, he's not going to give us as much money. <laughs> there you go. So, so there we go. Um, I that, think- that was almost sounding very poetic, the way you were reading it. Just
2: the pacing of the lines, Simon. And Perry could probably tell us, uh, based on
0: the syllables, why that's so. Um, but... <laughs> I that was I'm, sounding really good. Yeah, I'm I'm still getting people messaging me just about how badly uh, I, I was destroying. In fact actually you you got some stick as well by the way uh, Johnny for um, your readers some haikus as well recently. So uh, there you go. We 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 only have we can only have Graham Jago um, on the podcast to read haikus or or poetry or possibly Perry. Um I I don't think there's been any specific uh, criticism of of poetry uh, Perry's reading of poetry no Um, and he has great knowledge of poetry as well as we've we've, uh, learned so um, that would explain everything um so uh quickly just to say thank you to James Thorpe and Brian Woolworth as well who have also donated to us as well so um that's great obviously so thank you very much for that um okay so is there anything that we need to get off our chest before we start doing shout outs Uh, and things like that I I do. It's
2: a it, 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 it's not a retraction. I guess it's a clarification. Um so I had mentioned uh back what another one episode ago, maybe it was more than one episode ago, uh that Luke Lucas Frazee was uh sending me Luca Brasi Lucas Frazee was sending me his Canon P, and I'm like, I don't know why he's getting rid of it. I, I it's crazy. I don't know why he's getting rid of the Canon P. And he wanted me to clarify that he was getting rid of the Canon P because he cannot see the frame lines, uh, when he has his glasses on. Oh,
1: totally understood.
2: Yeah, so which I could understand, except you know, just throw an external finer on that bad boy and be done with it. uh but whatever, it's all good, so I so to quote lucas i'll just i'll just I'll just read the quote here um, and I sold the I sold you the pee because my glasses were just effing up my my shit up on me i'm I'm waiting for the FedEx guy to show up before I can get the post uh, today to send you this pee. Um, I'm including the Sirenar and it's Milky Hayes' problem that will be your problem now, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just so when I got this from Lucas, he he wanted to throw in at a at a for an, a small additional sum. A Canon Serinr 51.8 that has like ridic- like completely hazed over. I'm like, no, dude, keep it.
0: <laughs> so oh, was that was that the lens he was? He, he yeah. posted some pictures of that you couldn't see yeah. through the gra- grasshopper yeah,
2: uh, high, uh, yeah gra- grasshopper haze. The grasshopper haze. exactly. So we've come full circle on the haikus, yeah. Uh, so so yeah, he that apparently is uh is on the way here. Um, also, I guess he said we might as well just continue this. Uh, conversation that took us as a short detour in, in the middle here into 1980s clock radios. I won't read that bit. Uh, but he said, I'm also including a spotmatic F and an OM one N because I can't be bothered to sell them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, Lucas with the bad eyes. <laughs> and I, I think it's going to be said, Luke Lucas, you need to get yourself another job. Um, so yes. You, where so you can. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this this job where you can't make a, mon- a Monday recording to get on the show, it's just not working for you. Um, right. And I think it's- you need to, you know, take a good good hard look at yourself and uh, do something else so you can come on the show. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. Right then. So, uh, Perry, any shout-outs you might want to do? Any shout-outs? No, I
1: do not have any shout-outs this week.
0: Okay. And Johnny, any shout outs? I want to
2: just do a shout out to our friend, uh, John Bruning, um, uh, for, you know, the suggestion of the, uh, proper Gatorade bottle. Cause it came in very handy today, John. And I thought of you.
0: <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so we have a show <laughs> with a trucker torpedo. Okay. Um, oh,
1: I do have a shout out. Yeah. Sorry. Can I, um, there's a guy on Instagram uh who well, there's been quite a few people uh e- messaging me lately asking about lenses and stuff. Um, and there's a guy in Calgary uh who on Instagram goes by Calgary underscore street, and his name is Gary Clennon. Uh he shoots six six by 17, 4 by five. Um, but he's been asking me about the Bronica RF six four five. Mm. And after a bit of a chat with me, he has he has gone and purchased one uh, to replace his Fuji GS six four five if he likes it, and uh, he just says that uh, apparently I'm a bad influence. So <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, give him a little shout out for that because that camera is fantastic, and he's going to enjoy it. I think.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and I think anybody that comes into contact you with, it, especially for the first time, um, ends up you know, going onto eBay immediately or uh, certainly something on those lines, but that, that's what happened when you came onto the show or, or, originally. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, I was thinking, perhaps I do want a, a, a Rico GR as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's sounding good. So um, right. Uh, I've got a quick shout out and I'm going to, and it's going to be for the darkroom group uh, that I'm part of, which is on again on Tuesday night. Um, so if anybody wants to come along and uh, develop some film and maybe do a bit of uh, printing as well, I say maybe because uh, um, uh, this week uh, Brian, our leader, isn't there and uh, the, most of us that are there aren't really that good at printing, So, uh, but we're reasonably good at uh, developing and talking we're very good at talking and we make cups of tea. And uh, so if anybody wants to come along to have a cup of tea and talk about cameras and maybe do something else, then uh, you'd be very welcome. So uh, uh, just uh, get get in touch with me uh, via one of the many ways uh, that you can get in touch with me. um, And I'll give those out at the end of the show. Um, Okay. So uh, Perry, uh, how can on on dark rooms, by the way,
1: sorry, Uh, just quickly on dark rooms. Yeah while you're talking about your darkroom meetups. Uh, last week, you guys talk, uh, had that letter from Mike Epstein um, about yeah. the taggers and his, his prints. So the, he has a darkroom that he goes and prints his stuff uh, here in Hong Kong. And um, we're actually trying to find a, a time where he's going to go where I'm also free. Uh, so the next time that he goes to his darkroom, I might be tagging along and uh, have some stories to tell after that. Oh, cool. I have not been in a darkroom since 2009.
0: Wow! Yeah, I, it's got, I've got to say about, about dark rooms as well. When you get in there, you're not going to want to come out.
1: Uh, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. when I was in when I was in university, uh, the Hart House dark room at the University of Toronto, it was 25 bucks for an annual membership, and they supplied all of the equipment and chemicals. So you just had to bring your own paper and negatives. And I pretty much lived in that place um, for half of my college education.
0: Well, from from my perspective, I'd never. Never done Darkroom, never done my own processing, even back in the days in film, I, I, I had it done somewhere else. And and when I got involved with the Six Towns Darkroom, it was really, it was more about processing the film, uh, because I wasn't really that bothered about printing. and uh, But when you actually experience printing for the first time, or you see it happening, you just can't help be drawn in. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing. So uh, if anybody's never done it and they think, oh, it's not really of any interest to me uh, or to you, then that might well change if you actually experience it because it's just a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah. Okay. It smells
1: so great. Uh, it Smells great. Yeah. Oh, um,
2: <laughs> right then. So, Perry. I've had my lifetimes fill of darkroom work. You guys have at it. It's uh, You guys enjoy it.
0: I I am never going back in a dark room. (laughs) Uh, You you sound like one of those guys that doesn't want to go back to to film. No, I'm fine with film.
2: I'm just not fine with spending eight hours in a dark room anymore and smelling like shit and feeling like shit the next day. I'm done. (laughs) Okay.
0: Fair enough. Well, uh, uh, Perry, how can people keep up with the outside of this podcast?
1: uh you can find me on instagram and Flickr at perry g or well don't go to perryg.com <laughs> it never gets updated
0: <laughs> okay and johnny
2: uh, i'm at photographer on instagram and i am at uh central camera company in chicago most days of the week you can find me there
0: and what if you want to get in touch with the show in any any way
2: couple of ways to do that uh, you can send us an email at classic lenses podcast at com, uh, uh,
0: which, which is actually the way that chuck sent his email and it really gets garbled and it also goes into my spam folder as well so um <laughs> so please yeah yes you can yes you can but please do it in the way that, Kurt, that john is about to say
2: uh, and I believe that way would be to go directly to uh, ClassicLensesPodcast.com, dot com, which is no. the home of the podcast. No, no. not no, that no, way. No, no, that's the bad way. That's the bad oh, that's the bad way. Okay, yeah. don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Go, you go there to 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 read all the podcast notes and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um. But just email us at classiclensespodcast
0: at gmail dot com. That's the one. That's and, the one. And what if you you want to, you know, see words as you listen to the podcast
2: yes if you want to see uh words that may or may not accurately reflect the words coming out of our mouths on this podcast you can do that by going over to youtube and uh following along the video there and seeing what words they put up when we speak
0: words and (laughs) see how accurate they are to matching our speaking and uh to, to find that because i know that johnny doesn't know how to um, <laughs> oh,
2: this is a trick question,
0: isn't yeah. it? Well, no, not really. What I we...
2: would just think he would probably go to YouTube and type in "Classic Lenses Podcast." I mean, that's exactly. probably what I
0: would do, and that's that's what I would do as well. Yeah. So, so
2: instead of typing in, you know, cat videos, just type in "Classic Lenses Podcast." Yeah,
0: let's let's just see how that how the, how the pages how the channels going at the moment. And oh, uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. You know what? We 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 hit we, we hit an all time high uh which uh, <laughs> uh which was uh, called like where's perry like and uh which which clearly brought people in who we were sort of thinking where's perry like and um <laughs> and we we actually did 10 views so, Ooh. Uh, that's pretty good going so wow um, yeah we are we are dominating uh, youtube and we're fast fast becoming influencers um right so um that's that and yeah. uh and then it's me now I suppose Um, I've got a website called uh, Simon Forster Photographic where I have uh, reduced my price of my FICAS adapters on there although I'm probably (laughs) going to reduce those prices onto eBay quite soon uh, because nobody um, went rushed to my website to buy some adapters so I'll I'll, uh, reduce them on on eBay as well now although they'll still be slightly cheaper on my website by the way but there you go Um, I'm also on Instagram is Simon Forster photographic again. I'm on, except don't put again in there. Um, I'm on Twitter is Simon Four. Um, that's 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 all the useful places. We're all in the facebook group uh, dedicated to the show which is the classic lenses podcast facebook group and uh, we also hang out a lot in photography with classic lenses the difference between the two is the podcast group is just things that are specific to do with the podcast uh, simple as that and uh, you can be a little bit more free with the things that you put in there um, whereas in the class, photography with classic lenses um, there's a whole set of uh, encyclopedic rules that you must obey um, to, uh, to, to to put something in there um, whether you like them or not and uh, no matter how, how arbitrary they are and they're only arbitrary because I want to I wanted to be able to use my contacts uh, G lenses in the grip Um, so that's the most arbitrary part and it's all my fault for making it arbitrary like that but there you go Um, so that's it Um, don't forget join the Emulsif Secret Santa 2019 because you've only got two weeks left to actually register for that Um, and uh, we'll have the link to that at the end of the show Uh, but like I say just go to Emulsive.com and you can find it from there um. Oh, um, well, ooh, there's more. There is more
2: because we we don't want to we don't want to forget that um, people should while they're on Instagram check out best oh, vintage right. lens. <laughs> yeah, you got to check out best vintage lens because you get they you you can see daily photo features of photos made with classic lenses. So you definitely want to check that out, and you definitely want to see their weekly sort of weekly occasional when they get around to it. Review of each podcast, which is better than the
0: podcast itself. So you want to check that out for sure. Also, absolutely. I feel yeah, I feel double bad about that now because not only has, has Ricardo been tuning in for the last like four weeks to hear me say something nice about digital, um, <laughs> I've still not done it again. Uh, so uh, sorry about that, Ricardo. Although I've I've actually been bad about digital at all, um, but yeah, I will I will get to talk about my positive digital story uh, one day if I can remember what it was. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, there we go. So, our, uh, our music uh, is by Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com. Uh, it's called Octo Blues, um, and we like it. Um, and that's it. So, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl.